All right. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Well, awesome. I am so happy to hear that. Well, I'll tell you what, just hearing that last song, just being able to worship with you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so thankful today to be able to worship the resurrected king with you today. Amen? That death could not hold him down, that he is alive, that he's defeated sin and death. And now that same spirit that got Jesus up out of the grave is alive in you and me today. Now, that's an amazing thing. Amen? So excited about that. So, so excited about that today. Now, first off, before we get, you know, out here, there's something back here that I need to address. Kevin, I don't know where you are at, but oh my goodness, that is a beautiful voice. Wow. Wow. Kevin, thank you so much, brother, for sharing that gift with us. I was just amazed, you know, and to be quite honest with you, I was about as shocked seeing that voice come out of you as all of you are right now seeing this southern accent come out of these skinny jeans body, right? That one never gets old, never gets old. Well, hey, good morning, church. Again, my name is Justin Abercrombie. I serve as a student pastor at our central campus in Statesboro, which means that I have the incredible honor to shepherd and lead middle and high school students. Yes, pray for me, please. Amen. Uh, no, but I absolutely love it, and I am excited to be back here with you again today. Of course, this is my second time here at the Pooler campus, and just to see what God has done in that time and how he has just grown us, not only in number, but also in depth, has been absolutely amazing. Amen? God is doing amazing things, Pooler, in your midst, and I never want us to take that for granted. Now, of course, I'm here today because I hear that your pastor and his wife had some babies. I don't, I don't know. Does anybody know anything about that? Yeah, he's the half-asleep guy over there. Yeah. <laughs> no, incredible. So thank you so much, Michael, for asking me to come today. And um, congratulations, brother. We as a church are so excited and so happy for you and Savannah and Braxton and Chloe and just all that God has done. And, you know, just knowing a little bit of your story, you know, this week has just reminded me in such a powerful way, guys, that God sometimes adds to the church's number naturally, and then he also adds to the church's number supernaturally. But what I realize is that no matter which way it happens, we should praise God for when he adds to our number day by day, just as he did in the book of Acts. Amen? And so I want us to do something a little bit different to open up our time. Here's what you can do if you have your Bibles with you. Hopefully you do. You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 26. Go ahead and get there and just keep it held for just a moment. But actually what I want us to do to open up our time together today is just, again, considering all the amazing things that God has just done, specifically in Michael and Savannah's life, giving them, them two beautiful twin babies. What I want us to do as a body of believers, as a church, is just to lift up them and their family, pray for sleep, right, Michael? Plenty of sleep. And just pray that God would just work out all things in that situation, and at the same time, that God would be with us here today, that he would speak to us, and that he would do what only he can do. Does that sound good? So church, let's do that. If you would pray, pray with me, not for me, you can pray for me as well, but pray with me this morning. God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we are just so humbled and so thankful to be able, to be able to gather together as a body of believers, as your church today, God. And Lord, we lift up our pastor, 
Michael and his wife Savannah to you. And God, we praise you for what you have done in giving life. God, we thank you for the gift of life for Braxton and Chloe. God, just such a joyous occasion, Lord. We are reminded anew today, God, that you add to our number, whether it be naturally or supernaturally, God. And we praise you for that because we know that every single good thing that we have in this life comes down from you. And so, God, we thank you for that. Lord, I also lift them up to you, and I pray that you would just be with them, God. I pray that you would just continue to bring Braxton and Chloe to full development and full health. God, I pray that you would be with Michael and Savannah. Um, God, that you would allow them to get plenty of rest and plenty of sleep. God, I'm just reminded again this morning of Michael's text to me this week that because of these babies, he now has a new understanding of the gospel. And God, we pray, we praise you for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just be with them, God. And I pray, Lord, that Braxton and Chloe would grow up, Lord, to love Jesus above all. God, and I know that they have an incredible example and two incredible parents in Michael and Savannah pouring into them. And so, Lord, we're just so excited to see you work in and through their lives. God, we're thankful for today. Again, just thankful that we can come together and gather together, Lord, and that you are here and you want to speak to us. God, we thank you that you are already moving around in this place. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to do that in and through our hearts as well as in this building. And God, that above all, Lord, no matter what we may have brought into this room, any type of burden, any type of a distraction, that simply for a moment, God, that we can let those things go. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that those things would be bound, that they would be removed from our minds, and that we would focus in completely on Jesus. And God, would you be here with us today? Would you speak to our hearts? Lord, for those who are in the room who don't yet have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, Lord, that you would help them to understand, believe, and receive the gospel for the very first time and walk in the freedom that Christ Jesus has bought on our behalf. God, we thank you for that beautiful freedom and salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. So God, just be with us now. Continue to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that in everything that we do and in everything that we say today, that your son, Christ Jesus, is glorified above all. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Well, church, of course, today we are finishing up our study of the book of Acts. Tell me if you enjoyed walking through the book of Acts so far. Pretty incredible, right? I'm loving the 412 reading plan. Just a little shameless plug. If you're not reading 412 reading plan, I encourage you to do that. It's so cool to think that if just by reading a small passage of scripture each and every day, that by the end of the year, you have read through the entire New Testament. Pretty cool, right? So I encourage you to plug in there. Of course, we're in Acts chapter 26 today because this is one of the passages of scripture that we were reading this week in the 412 reading plan. But you know, as I was preparing and just getting ready for today, I was just realizing the amazing things that God has done in the book of Acts. As you know, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but I believe it's more accurately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. For we know that it's the Holy Spirit who is using some average Joes to make sure that his name and his gospel go to the ends of the earth. And you see the exact same decree, the same charge is for you and for me. What Jesus says to a group of 120 right before the incension, remember what he says? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, do we realize the incredible, glorious task that God has entrusted to us today? It's pretty amazing that he has asked us to share the good news of what he has done in our life with everybody around us. And so I can tell you this today, just plain and simple. I've told many people already today this. This message is a simple one. It's very simple. I can boil it down to one phrase that I'll I'll, I'll teach you in just a moment, but it's very simple. But today I'm thankful that it's the simple gospel that still changes hearts and lives today. Amen? It's the simple gospel. This message isn't polished. It isn't clean. You're probably going to hear me fumble over my words a lot, but I can promise you this. It's from the heart. It's from the heart. You know, I've struggled with this all week in sharing the gospel because there's so many blind spots in my life where I'm just not even willing to share the gospel with people around me. But I do know this, is that what I need is not really anything else but just a fresh realization of the Holy Spirit within me. That's what I need in order to share the gospel. And we have that, and I pray that today that we would focus on this hope and glory that we have in Christ Jesus. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that we would return again to this glory. And for those of us who aren't yet in Christ Jesus, that perhaps for the first time, God would open your eyes today to the truth of his gospel and the glory of his son. Amen? I say amen a lot. It's just sort of a thing. You can, you can say it back to me. I actually kind of like it. You just, you know, I learned the hard way. You can take the boy out of the Baptist, but you just can't take the Baptist out of the boy. Anybody else with me there? So, amen. So, looking at the book of Acts, just considering what I want us to do is read chapter 26, starting in verse, let's see, 19. 19, if you'll put that up on the screen there for me, hopefully you do have your Bibles. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. But Acts 26, verse 19, I want to read to you what's going on and then take a couple steps backwards and show you how we got there. But in verse 19, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying, both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass." that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise excuse me, from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, don't you love that name, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. Michael, maybe the next baby name, Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Wow. What in the world is going on here? Is that just short and simple that Paul is face to face with the most powerful man in the world, second only to Caesar there at this day and time. And what does he do? You tell me. He shares the gospel. He shares the gospel with this powerful leader. You see, today what I want you to really grasp today, if you're taking notes, if you want to give a title to this sermon, it's simply this. Seize your opportunity. Seize your opportunity. Plain and simple. I told you that this message would be simple. And looking at the life of Paul, this is exactly what I see, is that Paul, no matter what he's going through, whether it be high or low, he takes opportunity, seizes every single opportunity, and makes much of Jesus in and through it. Amen? And church, this is where we come into the picture because just a friendly and loving question to us, including myself, are we seizing every opportunity around us and making most of Jesus, making much of him, his glory, his fame, as opposed to building myself up? And to be quite honest with you, most times I fall into building myself up rather than building Jesus up. But today, I pray that this would be a reminder to us, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, how he seized every opportunity to make much of Jesus, that we would fall in those footsteps of Jesus himself, and then Paul, and that we would live our lives to glorify him no matter what's going on. Because I don't know about you, but when you have Jesus, when you have received Jesus as the Lord and Savior in your life, you see, happiness may be robbed from you, but joy never can and never will. Amen? That we have something that is so much greater. That when we know that although everything around us in this life may be falling apart, this life is not all that there is. Or as the pastor Tony Evans said, he says, you may be at rock bottom, but once you're there, you will discover that Jesus himself is the rock at the bottom. I pray that we would realize that today, that we would rally around that truth. And today, by looking at the example that Paul has set for us, that we would seize our opportunity. And so here's what I want to do. And I was talking to Michael this morning. You know, Acts is a very difficult passage of Scripture to preach on, to be quite honest with you, because it's a narrative. And so one of the things that I want to do for us today, and praise God that I'm here and walking through Acts 26 with you, but one of the things that I want to do is really catch us up to how did we get here, right? Have you ever just been in a place, like when you take that good nap, like this was just me the other day, like you wake up and you're like, how in the world did I get here? Anybody else? Shame. I'm no, no shame in my game, y'all. Like, after church today, I'm going to get me in that. But, like, how did we get here, okay? There we go. Finally, some laughs in this place. Here we go. We're getting there, y'all. And it really starts in Acts chapter 21. Now, you don't have to turn there, but what I want us to do is walk through this together. Back in Acts 21, what is happening is that Paul is way into his ministry. In fact, the year is about A.D. 57, so if you're a history or a Bible nerd, then you're going to really, really love this. The year is about A.D. 57 when Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Remember that he has been spending a large majority of his ministry collecting funds for the church in Jerusalem to take it back there. Just to kind of give you some perspective, Christ died, rose again, and ascended in the year A.D. 30. 
50 years later, the Holy Spirit fell on all of the apostles, and this was the first church, the early church, and the Holy Spirit was moving and working in them. And about A.D. 34, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, reveals himself to the apostle Paul, then the persecutor of the church, Saul, A.D. 34. So this is from AD 34 to AD 57. God has been using Paul in an amazing way in three different missionary journeys, and now it's about to come to a close. But he's been collecting this money to them, and everybody is telling him, do not go. Do not go back to Jerusalem. I know that you say that God is calling you there, but God is giving us other things, telling you not to go there. And specifically, Paul starts getting back at them, and he says, no way. This is after the prophet Agabus, I believe is the way that you say it. Just A is good enough, right? He actually takes Paul's belt, and he wraps it around his hands and his feet, and he says, the man who this belt belongs to, the Gentiles are going to bound, just like this. But Paul says this specifically in Acts chapter 21. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, church, but I wish I could hear God that clearly to where I know that where he says go, that I would step. That when he says yes, that I would say yes. That when he says no, albeit hard, that I would say no. And Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem. Once in Jerusalem, he meets up with the pillars of the church, including Jesus' own brother, James. And James informs him. He says, this is not friendly territory for you. I'm glad that you're here, but this is not friendly territory for you. You see, the Jews have been claiming that you are calling all of the other people to abandon the law of Moses, to forget all about it. And Paul says, no, this, of course, isn't true. And so what he does is he takes a vow and he performs these purification or repentance rites in the temple. And he goes there, but then a group of Jews from Asia, tracking with me so far? And I can't promise you that all of this is accurate. I'm trying my best, though. But a group of Jews from Asia come, and they say that Paul has been defiling the temple by bringing Gentiles into it. And so what they do is they create a riot, so much of a riot that the Roman Tribune tunes into what's going on, and they go and, of course, arrest Paul and bring him into the barracks. And then Paul does something amazing, where as they are literally binding him and about to flog him, he says, let me talk to the people. Can I address the people? And you know what he does when he addresses the people? He seizes that opportunity by sharing the gospel with the exact same people who are persecuting him and binding him and arresting him. So they arrest him. They beat him. They hand him over to the Roman soldiers. He speaks to the group. And after, after having heard this, of course, the Jews, as you can imagine, are very extremely angry. Extremely angry. And you know what turns them off is when Paul says specifically that this hope that we have, Jesus is the Messiah, is not only for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile people. Now, church, I don't know about you, but I've kind of like got a little bit of bias in this, but I'm extremely thankful that Christ Jesus has torn down everything and anything that could separate us as a people. Amen? everything. He has removed the barrier. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now one by his Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus prays for in John chapter 17. But of course, this makes this group of people extremely mad. And so what did the Roman tribune do again? They take him and they arrest him and they're about to flog him. And then Paul says this. He says, you know, it's unlawful to flog a Roman citizen. And so everybody stops. 
Everybody stops. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's a Roman citizen. And back in this day, if you're a Roman and you flog a Roman, if you hurt a Roman without due process, a trial, then death is really the punishment for these soldiers. And so they all back off, and of course, they're all scared. And so what they do, the Roman Tribune takes Paul the very next day before the high priest and the council. And Paul says some really encouraging things, some really things that make them very happy. You know, there he doesn't. Um, He calls them whitewashed walls. And so, of course, that doesn't sit over well with the high priest and the council. And then there's this dissension between the council there. And so the Roman Tribune comes back in and they say, we're going to take Paul just to keep him safe. Now, meanwhile, a group of 40 of the Jewish people have taken a vow that they're not going to eat or drink anything until they have killed Paul. And so Paul's nephew receives word of this, goes back to the Roman Tribune to tell him what's going on. And the Roman Tribune decides, I've got to get him out of town. So they take him to Caesarea there Now, keep in mind that the course of this, it seems like a quick narrative, but this is actually over two years, AD 57 to AD 59, right? But they take him to Caesarea for protection there, and there he is placed under the rule of Felix, the governor. So we have gone from the mayor in the Roman Tribune, Claudius, and now we are here with the governor in Felix. And so Paul, of course, is being heard by Felix, but Felix has a little bias because, you see, Felix's wife is Jewish, and so Felix opposes the way. He opposes Christianity in an incredible way. And so what he does is that he puts Paul in house arrest for, remember, a course of two years. And every now and then, Felix and his wife are going to visit Paul, and they're actually listening to Paul preach the gospel because, keep in mind, what is Paul doing? seizing that opportunity and he's sharing the gospel over and over and over again with them but then Paul starts talking about the coming judgment and Felix is like whoa I'm out all right and so he backs away and he keeps Paul in prison to his successor comes in a guy named Festus now Festus comes in and Festus is already siding with the Jewish people And Festus says, okay, I'm going to appear to give Paul a fair statement here, but of course he's already biased with the Jewish people. So he brings Paul in, and Paul speaks to him again, and you can guess from here what Paul does. He seizes that moment, and he shares the gospel. And Festus himself finds that I find nothing wrong in this man, nothing that deserves death or punishment. He says, but what about going back to Jerusalem? where you could have a hearing there. And Paul realizes that this is simply a trap. He knows that if he goes back to Jerusalem, that the 40 Jewish people who have been there, who have taken this vow to kill him, are going to ambush him and do just that, murder him. And so Paul pulls out the end-all, be-all cards of it all, and he says, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Now, as a Roman citizen, he has this right that if he wants to appeal to Caesar, then he must be taken to Caesar to be heard by him. And so this is what he requests. And this is a big-time move. But you see, here's what Festus has to do as part of his authority, is he has to write a report and send it to Caesar. But remember, he finds no fault in Paul. So he can figure out nothing to write. And so at this time, King Agrippa comes into the picture, and he says, let me hear Paul myself. 
And so where we are at, just walking back, back to where we are in Acts 26, we can see that Paul over and over and over again has done what? Seized his opportunities. Seized every opportunity, mind you, to make much of Jesus. And now he is here facing death face to face with the most powerful leader in the world, second to Caesar. And what does he do? Seizes that opportunity to share the gospel. What I want to do with you is back up to Acts chapter 26 and walk through this together. So Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Well, what's he doing? Well, he's showing a sign of respect to Agrippa. And Paul speaks. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now stop just a moment because it's important to realize here that Agrippa is of what descent? Jewish descent. So he is not only a Jewish person, but he is ruling Jewish people. And Paul takes the moment here in this clouded way, and he says, Agrippa, I'm for your heart today, but not yours alone. For all of my people, for all of the Jewish people. And now, church, I promise you that this wasn't going to be polished and this wasn't going to be clean. But one of the first things that God was speaking to me as I was reading this passage is, God, I couldn't help but it proclaim, God, give me a heart for my people like Paul had a heart for his people. Church, I pray that we would have the same, that we would have a heart because I don't know about you, but it's really hard to share the gospel, which is a form of love with somebody, when you don't even truly love somebody. And see, here's the thing. If sharing the gospel is a form of love, then failing to share the gospel must be a form of hate. And we must realize that today. That if we miss out on our opportunities for whatever reason under the sun that we can name, then we're not showing love. That we don't have a heart for our people. And you see, a lot has changed ever since Acts 26. You see, the decree was already out there in Acts chapter 10 when, when God, of course, appears to Peter with a sheet that's coming down, and he says that nothing and no one is unclean. And he breaks down that stereotype that Gentiles are unclean. Thank God he did, right? That's you and me, most of us here in the room, I'm guessing, right? He's already broken down that stereotype, but now he's continuing to do it through Paul. And now he's continuing to do it even today where there is absolutely nothing and no one that can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? He's broken down all the barriers. And so here's the thing. A heart for our people equals a heart for all people. If we say we have a heart for our people, it's not just some different defining characteristic that we can come up with, whether it be race or age, the list goes on and on and on. No, our people is all people because we are all children of God and loved by him, amen? All people are God's people. All people are our people. And Paul's heart for all people is on full display as he preaches the gospel to Agrippa, excuse me. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Verse 4, Paul continues. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. 
they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Paul is telling you about his past. And I don't know about you, church, but I just must stop for just a moment. But is anybody else in here thanking God today that if you are in Christ Jesus, who you are is not the same as who you were? You have a past, but now you are in the present because Jesus has changed everything. And if you are in the room today and you have not yet received Christ as your Savior, you may be living in then, but God is calling you to now. There is only one way, and his name is Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. As Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. This is what God is calling us to. And in Christ Jesus, it is available. But as a Pharisee, in verse 6, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Now, there's a lot of details going on here, but basically what Paul is saying is that, Agrippa, I'm not trying to get you to place your faith in a new religion. I am simply asking you to place your faith in the fulfillment of your own. Wow. Because this is what the Jewish faith is. All of the promises, right, as Paul writes elsewhere, all of the promises in the Old Testament find their yes and amen in him. Amen? And Paul is saying, you are missing it, my people. You are missing it. For the fulfillment of the hope that we are longing for has come, and his name is Jesus. And God has raised him from the dead as an example, the firstborn from the dead, to show us that this is the life available to us in Christ Jesus. But you turn a blind eye, and you say, no, Jesus is not the way. Remember Paul's heart for these people. He writes in Romans 9, verse 3, he says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You see his heart, the love for these people he has. And in Romans 10 and 2, he calls them out for their failure to believe in the Christ. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Amen? And Paul says, I wish you could see it. I wish you could have what I have, this life in Christ Jesus that I have. And he brings his past into it. And he continues in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Immediately, Stephen comes to mind. As we know that Paul in Acts chapter 7 is the same person who holds the clothing of Stephen, Stephen while his cohorts stone him to death and becomes the first Christian martyr. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is Paul saying, I am what I am, and I bear it all for you 
because of who has called me, because of what he has done for me. And I feel deep shame and remorse and regret, but I know that I am not who I once was. Is there anybody else here today that says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, that by his grace he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen? That's what he's done for us. That's the truth of the gospel, what Jesus has given us, a free gift of salvation, but yet it costs him everything. And Paul says, I am considerate of that cost every day. And in verse 12, he continues, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, is anybody else in the room just like, what in the world? Any farmers in the room? You're like, yep, I got to know what a goat is, right? I had no idea. I'll be open and honest with you. Very interesting. Really quickly here is a, go a goat, of course, is something that people, farmers would use to, of course, prod the livestock, the livestock along, right? Is that it's a wooden stick and one side of it's blunt and the other part is sharp. And Saul is reaccounting for us that Jesus is basically saying, Paul, stop resisting me. And submit to me. Now, church, that immediately reminds me of my own story because I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life when I was opposed to Christ. I was opposed to him. And the worst part of it all is that I thought I knew him. In reality, I didn't. And I can tell you what is that there is absolutely nothing worse than thinking you know Jesus and in reality not knowing him at all. There's nothing worse because that is dead religion. And Christ has conquered it. But I once was walking in dead religion, just as Paul was. But he submit. And God in his grace called me to submit as well. And he opened my eyes. Verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, of course, the incredible irony in all of this and why Paul is reaccounting this and giving another explanation of this to Agrippa is he says that Jesus in his mercy and grace opened my eyes. Once my eyes were closed, but he opened them and now he's calling me to do the same thing for you. Church, I ask you today, are you here today and your eyes are closed, but yet you have no realization of it yet? Have you experienced Jesus in his mercy and in his grace? And here's the beautiful part of the gospel. Not only does he open our eyes, as Ephesians 2 tells us, he makes us alive. We once were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. 
opened our eyes. He called us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. We have received forgiveness of sins, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And with salvation comes a mission, and that mission is to seize every opportunity and make much of Jesus in it. Amen? Paul realized this. Paul realized that his salvation was for him, that it certainly wasn't lesser than him, but his salvation was much greater than him. And church, the exact same thing is for us. You see, salvation is not just for us who gather together as the church on Sunday mornings, right? You see, I hope and pray that God would continue to do amazing things here at Connection Pooler. But to be quite honest with you, I pray that our most effective ministry doesn't happen in these walls, but outside of it. Because God has given us a salvation, and if we fail to pick up the mission and seize every opportunity, then we are not truly thankful for what God has done for us. Seize every opportunity and make much of Jesus. And back we are in the passage that we read earlier. Walking through this, of course, Paul continues this appeal to Agrippa. He says, I was not a disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. If you are here today, plain and simple, if you realize the Holy Spirit's leading, showing you the gospel, then our response is to repent, to turn from our sin and turn back to God and take hold of the marvelous light that he is calling us to performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Of course, he is talking about the Holy Spirit. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. He says, Agrippa, you have seen what the Holy Spirit has done in the church. And what God is doing here is not normal. Pooler, I pray that Pooler, the city of Pooler, would look into Connection Church and say the same thing. That what God is doing there is not normal. And that they would be drawn in by the Holy Spirit. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And he's put Agrippa in a really tough place. Or now Agrippa has to answer this, and the way that he does can change everything. And Paul is well aware that if Agrippa would receive the gospel here, then there is hope for the Jewish people. That he has an effect. He has influence. I'm going to seize this opportunity, although it be in chains. But Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
there's a couple of things that I want to key in there as we close today. And the first thing is this, as you see in verse 29, whether short or long, I would to God, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these change. God has called us to short-term and long-term obedience. God has called us to short-term and long-term obedience. And now what I mean by that is short-term is, of course, the direct next step that he is calling you to take. And long-term is the life of faithfulness that he has empowered you to live because of his Holy Spirit within you. God has called us to obedience short-term and long-term. And what that means is seizing every opportunity and making much of Jesus. But church, I'll be quite honest with you as we close today. The opportunity to share the gospel is all around us every single day, but most of us miss it. Most of us miss it. And it's because we don't understand who Jesus has empowered us to be. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Church, the incredible good news of the gospel today, as we track it from Acts, Acts 26, all the way today, is that we are the harvest that God prayed for, that he asked the apostles to pray for, and we have now been empowered to be the laborers that he asked the apostles to pray for as well. Amen? We are not only the harvest, though we have been called into his marvelous light, but he has now given us salvation and a mission to take this message. And you see, the unfinished work of the church, as I heard someone say before, is to take the finished work of Christ to the world. What a glorious banner we have, amen? Well, we miss it. And I'll be honest with you, nine out of ten times my opportunities to miss it come at Walmart. Anybody else? Pooler, I've been to your Walmart, I've been to your Publix, and it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Every time I step in there, I tell my fiance Katie, my beautiful fiance Katie, I think I lost my salvation today. But God in his grace gave it back every time that I go to Walmart, right? But in all seriousness, I realized the other day, just walking around, there's an, el an elderly man in Statesboro who is the greeter at the door. And no matter what I'm walking through that day, I'll open the doors. And the first thing he says is, hey, young man, how are you today? With the biggest smile on his face. And I realize that such a small gesture can have such an incredible impact on somebody coming to know Jesus. You know, as I was listening to the guest services team this morning, getting ready for all of you to arrive today, one of the things that Tim says was, remember that it's in the small things. Remember that it's just smiling and saying good morning that could lead to that very person receiving salvation that day. But church, we need to open our eyes and realize that there are opportunities around us. And although I close an eye off and I miss them on purpose so many times, God in his grace says, Justin, I'm with you. Here's another one. God, Justin, I'm with you. Here's another one. And he's calling me to obedience, not only short-term in that moment, but long-term over my life of faithfulness that he's called me to. I miss it. Another reason and another thing that I have a realization of in talking to people, even as early as this week, as I told you, I'm the student pastor in Statesboro, and uh, I was getting ready to preach the message. And to be quite honest with you, I was so focused on that message that I wasn't doing a good job of shepherding my people as God had called me to do. And about five minutes before the message, which is like, 
red alert for any pastor, right? The sermon's about to start. You need to get everything ready. The student comes to me and he says, Justin, would you tell me about Jesus? I just come a couple of times and I've heard you, you know, say the gospel, but like, what is it? And who is Jesus? And what I realized is that although I had missed the opportunity that God had placed in front of me earlier, God was giving it to me again. He was saying, Justin, here's an opportunity. Seize this opportunity to make much of me. And I realized, church, that this isn't very practical. It isn't very, excuse me, not practical, but specific to you. Maybe you relate to the Walmart thing. Maybe you relate to the student ministry thing. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Holy Spirit is more than able to speak to our hearts and show us the opportunities in our life that he's called us to seize. Amen? That he showed us the people around us that we can share the gospel with. And you know what I realize is that people never object when you tell them, hey, can I pray for you? Have you ever realized that? Nobody. Nobody says, no, you can't pray for me. There is an openness but most of the times, we're not the ones who are open about sharing that gospel. But God is calling us today to seize the opportunities in front of us to make much of Jesus. And one of the big things that I want to hit today before we close is simply this. Some of us do not share the gospel in life because we claim that we're not yet where we want to be in life. This is one of the big things. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've said, oh God, I'm not prepared for that. I've got to have everything together. But you see, the heart of the gospel is that I don't have to have myself together. I come to Jesus and he brings me together and he uses me in a way that I could never get the glory, that I could never get the praise, that I would seize the opportunity and make much of him and not of me. Amen? And this is what he's calling us to do. Church, do not buy into the lie that you have to be perfect in order to be effective to share the gospel. Because you see, God is actually wanting to use your weaknesses to bring people to himself. Are you aware that it's your weaknesses, your imperfections, not your perfections and your strength that help to bridge the ground between you and non-believers? Non-believers are not looking to you to have your life together to be drawn to Jesus. They're actually looking to people who say proudly, I do not have it all together, but praise be to God through Jesus Christ. He's got me. He's calling us to lay it down, our weaknesses, to bear those imperfections, to seize every single moment. And if you're here in the room and you say, well, I've got actually, I'm in a really good spot. I've got things going on. I've got a good marriage. I've got a good job. I've got a good this and that. Well, praise be to God that you have those things. But here's what I want to encourage you with today is that we must be open and honest about our weaknesses because if we boast of anything besides the cross, if we boast in any of the good things that we have in life, we are not drawing people to Christ. We are drawing people to the things that Christ has given us, and that's idolatry. That's idolatry. God has been good to you, amen, he's been good to me. But I remember where he pulled me from. I remember how sinful I was. I remember how I was walking in darkness and I opposed his name and he opened my eyes. And somebody took a chance with me. A guy that didn't, didn't even really wanna listen to the gospel to be quite honest with you that day. 
But I realized that day that, it, and this applies for you too, that if you're saying, okay, God, I see an opportunity, but they just don't want to listen. Trust God to call people out of darkness. Trust God to use you in a more incredible way than you could ever imagine that he could use you. You see, I am the product of someone seizing an opportunity to make much of Jesus. And if you are in this room today and you say, I am in Christ, you are also the product of someone seizing the opportunity and making much of Jesus today. Amen? Somebody seized the opportunity for us, and now it's our turn. It's our turn. So as I said, as I leave us today, I wish I could give you, hey, Joe, this is the way you need to go and share the gospel. But it isn't about me. It's about him. And he will lead us and he will guide us and he will give us opportunities to seize the moment to make much of him if we'll simply submit to him if we'll stop kicking against the goats, if we'll stop resisting, if we come back and we realize, God, the hope and glory that you've given me, Christ Jesus alive in me, is so much greater than me. And God, I don't want to keep it to myself, but I want to share it, God. Would you make me a vessel for you? Church, somebody sees the opportunity for us, and now it's our turn. And perhaps today you're here today. And you realize that seizing the opportunity for you looks like receiving Christ. And you say before, I have never before placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. But today I realize being led by the Holy Spirit, hearing the Word of God and experiencing the Word of God, Jesus Christ, through it, I surrender to Him. I've walked a long time with my eyes closed. I've walked a long time resisting Him but it's time to be used by him. And God help me to seize the opportunity, seize this one and say yes to you. Church, I'm just gonna ask you to do something bold. If you're here in the room and you say that I've never received Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, but I surrender to him today, would you just raise your hand in the air so that we can pray for you and celebrate with you? Is that anybody here in this room? If not, that's okay. That's okay. It's awesome. But here's what I want us to do as we close out today. We're going to do one more song. We're going to go with it. But I want you to do this. And I commit to doing this with you as well, that as we worship, that we would ask God to put those people on our hearts that he's called us to share the gospel with. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us and he's going to show us those people around us, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, maybe the person sitting right beside us at church today to share the gospel with them, to be heartfelt, seize that opportunity to make much of Jesus. So church, would you do that with me today? Would you say, God, would you show me the opportunities in my life? And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you use me to be a vessel to you? Sound good? Church, would you pray with me? God, we love you so much. God, and we are so thankful for this time that we have had together, Lord, to worship you in the reading of your word. And God, I know that I'm incredibly convicted today because I know that there are so many opportunities in front of me, God, that I have missed because of so many different excuses. Oh, I've got to have myself together. I've got to be prepared. I don't need to show people my weaknesses because that might turn people away. 
God, show me today that that's not true. God, remind me of the good news of your gospel, the truth that Christ Jesus died. He gave up his life for me. He lived the life that I could not and died the death that I deserved to bring me back to him. And God, because he has defeated sin, because he has defeated death, God, there's nothing that can separate me from you. And God, now I want to be used by you. And God, I pray that that would be our collective heart today as a church, that we would say, God, use me despite my imperfections. God, use my imperfections and my weaknesses as a billboard to show people that I'm not perfect, but Christ Jesus, you are. Lord, help us make that our collective heart today. And God, help us to be mindful of the people around us who are hurting. God, remind us that we have the hope and glory if we're in Christ Jesus that this world needs, that this world craves, that this world is so desperate for, God, and give us the confidence to share it. God, not boasting in ourselves, but boasting only of the cross and what you have done. God, help us to be a people who build your kingdom, grow your kingdom, Build your church, seize every opportunity, and make much of you, Jesus. God, draw our hearts to you now, Lord, as we focus on the people that you put in our lives to minister to. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.